Wow, what an amazing God. What an amazing God. Uh, over this past week, we, uh, last week you had homework. I don't know, you know who all did their homework. I'll try not to look around and point fingers or anything like that. But we went over Psalm 100 last week. And uh, I just want to read that again because I'm going to use it to kind of jump into what I have for today. Psalm 100 says this, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful to Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and His truth endures to all generations. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. My wife and I practiced this. I can't say we did it 100% every morning we started the day out like this, but we practiced this this week where we would make a joyful shout to the Lord. It was good that we did it together so one didn't scare the other one. But we would just make a joyful shout to the Lord. We would make a, uh, a shout to Him and just declare, Lord, you're good. We love you. And we would just laugh. Ha, ha, ha. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, for He is good. The next one, the Lord's really ministered to my heart this week. Verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. You know, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus' disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray. You remember that? Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. I believe that Psalm 100 here is just as much a model for what true prayer looks like as Matthew 6 is. Amen. Because he says, you come in, make a joyful shout to the Lord. I forget uh, who it was. I can't to attribute this to, but he said, if I only had 10 minutes to pray, I would spend eight minutes in worship and two minutes in prayer and asking. I would spend eight minutes focusing on who God is and then two minutes on bringing my request before him. Why is that important? Because it allows us to put into perspective who we're talking to. That makes a huge difference if you know who you're talking to. If you go to a company and uh, how many of you ever dealt with customer service and you seem like you get the runaround. Anyone other than me? So you deal with customer service and you feel like you get the runaround. What do you ask for? A manager. Can I speak to your manager? What are you looking for? Someone in authority. You're looking for someone who can make a decision. You're tired of talking to people who says, well, this is all I can do. This is all I can do. This is all I can do. So you ask to speak to someone who's in authority because you, you understand that those in authority are able to make decisions, Correct. Same thing here. He said, when we understand, when we make a joyful shout unto the Lord, all you lands, serve the Lord with gladness, come before his presence with singing. Verse 3 says, know that the Lord, he is God. <laughs> when you know that the Lord, it's he is God. He said then, it, he said this, that he is, it is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. You know, this week, as I meditated on that, that brought so much comfort and encouragement to me. If he, if we're the sheep of his pastor, do you think he's going to take care of his sheep? That was good. That's the strongest one I've gotten so far. I would say, yes, if we believe that he is, uh, it's, we are the sheep of his pastor that we're his, that we didn't make ourselves, that we're not our own. You know, many people live like that we're our own. Basically, what we are is stewards of what God's given. Amen. That's what we are. We're stewards. And he said here that know that the Lord, he is God, and that he, it is he who made us, not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. That's such encouragement to me. But verse 2 says this, because this is something the Lord really... Uh, ministered to my heart this week. He said, serve the Lord with what? With indebtedness. Serve the Lord because you have to. Serve the Lord because you get a pat on the back. Serve the Lord because everybody knows everything that you do. Then you can be happy. No. He says, serve the Lord with 
gladness. And, and you know, there's no stipulation on that. He just says, look, when you serve the Lord, how do you do it? With gladness. <laughs> so he didn't make this tricky. He said, when you serve the Lord, it should always be done how? This way, with gladness. Now, is serving the Lord what you do in church? No. Is it part of it? Yes. Is it, does it wrap it all up in a bundle? No, absolutely not. And as I meditated on that, the Lord began to unlock some different things to me. And I uh, had lunch with Josh earlier in the week. And uh, I said, you know, the Lord's been stirring some stuff in me. Just as much as he says, serve the Lord with gladness. So he said, as you've done it to the least of these, you've done it what? To me. He says, if you give a cup of cold water and a, and a prophet's name, you get a prophet's reward. So Jesus said, he took it another level. And he said, as you've done it unto the least, you've done it unto me. So when we serve, whether it be in the church or outside the church, when we do something kind, uh, it's not unto man, it's unto God. Now, it may benefit man, but we're doing it as unto the Lord. So when we do that, we should do that with gladness. You know what? That's relevant even in your job. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. That's relevant in your job. He said, you serve the Lord with gladness. Because he said, he, Paul told, he said, when you serve, even your masters, he was writing to those in slavery. He said, you serve them as you serve the Lord. Now, you may feel like a slave at your job, but you're not. Okay, because you get a paycheck. But he said, serve the Lord with gladness. Just dream with me for a minute. What's it going to look like? Not what would it look like, because I've got faith for this. What's it going to look like when the church, the body of Christ, not a gathering in a building, but the body of Christ, when they begin, as they begin, serving the Lord with gladness wherever they are? What's that going to look like? When you go in, into work and maybe it's not the best job and maybe it's not the best circumstance or situation, but you go in with the joy of the Lord in your heart. Why? Because you woke up that morning and you had a shout unto God. A shout, does he say? A joyful shout unto the Lord. And you serve the Lord with gladness. See, I, I believe that Christianity today to have an impact has got to get back to the practical side. That we've, we, There is a spiritual side. There's a powerful side that we serve a God who's bigger than we are, who can do anything. But there's a practical side that says that that God who lives in me affects the face on the outside. And it affects the emotion and the, and the way with which I serve. That as we serve as unto the Lord, man can't keep you down when you serve unto the Lord. I've shared this testimony. Uh, when I worked at Honda Power Equipment, they hired me as a temporary. I went in as a temporary, and the way that they worked is they didn't hire anyone other than like uh, upper management straight in. Everyone came through the temp agency, and the, the, you would have a contract, and I can't remember how long it was. I don't remember if it was 90 days. I think it was 90 days at the time. But uh, I remember going in, and I was just working as unto the Lord. It wasn't the, the most fun job in, in all the world. I worked in packing, and the cool thing about packing is if they made a mistake, we're the ones who got behind because they would have to pull it off and work on it, and then they would work on the mowers, and then all of a sudden five or six mowers would be waiting on us to pack them, and the assembly line just keeps rolling. And when you're making 300 and 400 mowers a day and they pull four or five off and have to work on them, then they put them all back on with the others that are coming down the line, that's a pretty good clip. And I remember I was working, I was, doing, I was just working with all I had. And this guy looked at me very sarcastically and he said, he said, you're killing yourself and all they're going to do is get rid of you in 90 days. That's what they do. That's what they do to temporaries. They just get rid of them. And I said, well, I'm going to do it with all I've got. And you know what? Halfway through it, they, they bought out my contract and hired me full time. Had I listened to him and just served unto man and been depressed and oppressed and, and discouraged and defeated and just said, well, it's not worth it. I give up. I quit. I'm just going to do like everybody else. I'm just going to slack. I don't think I'd have gotten hired because I'd have looked like everyone else. I'm telling you. That as we serve the Lord with gladness, there's an element that, God, that brings the God side into the equation and allows him to work mightily on our behalf because we're not just doing it as unto man. That's how practical this Christianity is supposed to be. Amen. That was an amen point right there. It's supposed to be that practical that, that people around us, not just when we come to church, but wherever we are, whatever we're doing, that there should be an element about us when people can look and say there's something different about them. 
because they're serving the Lord with gladness. Wherever that is, if you're volunteering somewhere or, or whatever it is, we serve the Lord with gladness. He said, come before his presence with singing. I've practiced that this week quite a bit, just singing unto the Lord. And then verse 3 says, know that the Lord, he is God. It's he who made us and not we ourselves. We're his people, the sheep of his pastor. Verse 4, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Verse 5, for the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to what? To all generations. His truth endures to all generations. I, this past week in our small group, we we're going through different uh, people in the Bible, and, and this past week I had Gideon. It was really hard for me not to come in here today and preach on Gideon because I didn't even get to the story that everybody knows about Gideon. I was just in the first parts of uh, judges there uh, where he's Gideon gets called and the Lord speaks to Gideon it's so amazing when you look at that the angel of the Lord came he was under the terebinth tree he spoke to Gideon and uh, he, he calls Gideon and Gideon starts talking to him they start uh, conversing back and forth and this is what just really jumped out at me especially after just preaching out of uh, this out of Psalms 100 where he talked about uh, his goodness and his truth endures to all generations when the angel of the Lord said, he approached Gideon, and the first thing that he called him is, you mighty man of valor. And you know where Gideon was? He was hiding in the wine press. He was in a wine press threshing wheat. You don't thresh wheat in a wine press. You thresh wheat on a rock. The process of threshing wheat, the manual way, there were different ways they would do it. When they were, had a big harvest, they would lay it out on a big rock, and they would drag a stone over it. And the chaff it's lighter, and it would just float up in the air and blow away, and the wheat would be what's left. But one way that they did it is they would beat it on a rock, and when they beat it, all the chaff would come up in the air, and the wheat would stay on the rock, and they would gather the wheat. And that was, but he was in a wine press so that he wouldn't be seen. And the angel of the Lord came to him, and he said, Hey, Gideon, you mighty man of power. Well, his very name, Gideon, means warrior. You know, I think it's important that we, we know our name. And I'm not talking about my name's Todd. I know my name. But we know who God says we are. He says that we're hidden in Jesus, that we're accepted in the beloved. So our identity, who we are, is in Jesus. So when he looks at us, he doesn't see us. He sees us wrapped in Jesus. Amen. But he said, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon speaks to the angel pretty boldly, and he says this. Um, he said, where is the God that our fathers told us about? And where are all the miracles that we saw, that, that, we, that they saw and they were talked about? Uh, how he brought them out of Egypt and how he delivered us from the hand of our oppressors. But Gideon, you know what that tells me? Gideon had a father. He had someone in his family who had told him about the Lord. It went from generation to generation. They didn't hand each other a Bible. They didn't have a Bible like we got. Are you with me? Stay with me. So Gideon said that where is the God of our fathers? The stories that we've heard. I, that's where I say the importance of this, he says, from generation to generation. But it's got to go beyond what we say. Throughout the scriptures, it's replete with saying that he's a God who does miracles. I, I alluded to Psalm 145 last week, and I just read a few verses out of it. But I want you to humor me, and let's just read Psalm 145. There's 21 verses but I want you to see the theme of this psalm, of what the Lord is saying and, and who, he, who he is, not who he was. Are you with me? Psalms 145, I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day, what did he say? Every day I will what? And I will praise your name forever and ever. And again, that word praise is barak. It means to bless, to salute, congratulate, to thank, to praise, to kneel down. So he said, every day, I'm not just going to go praise Jesus. He said, no, every day I'm going to acknowledge, I'm going to praise you every day. I will bless you, and every day I will praise your name forever and ever. Verse 3, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Do you see a theme? He's great. Verse 4, one generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. 
Verse five, I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous, what? You might pay attention to that. On your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts or power. Depends on what translation you are. So here in verse five, we have your wondrous works. Verse six, we have your awesome acts. And I will declare your greatness. Again, you see the theme? They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. We should say thank you, Jesus, for that. Look at verse 9. The Lord is good to what? To those who perform well. Is that right? No. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. All your works shall praise you, O Lord. Your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your what? Power. Is this just a spiritual kingdom that he's talking about? You see his works. You see his acts. You see his power. Is that stuff that should be seen and manifested in the world? Yeah, that's what they're talking about. This God that we serve is not just way up in heaven. He's a God who comes near. He's a God who has works, who has acts, who has power. This is Psalms 145. This is Old Covenant. We serve the New Covenant where Christ is not around or or walking with us. He has his spirit in us. The same God, right? Thank you, Joyce. It's the same God. What verse was that in? 12? Yes, verse 12. To make known the sons of sons of men his mighty acts, and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. So what are we supposed, what did, hallelujah. When Jesus, when his disciples said, teach us to pray, what did he say? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So here he said in verse 12, to make known to the sons of men your, your mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your de- dominion endures through what? All what? All what? I want to make sure. All generations. So he's no respecter of persons. He goes from generation to generation. See, God is not just, God's not just excited about a big explosion of his presence on earth. He's talking about generations being shaped by his presence and power, by his acts, right? Through all generations. Verse 14. Now the Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. Is that not amazing? The Lord upholds all who fall. So no matter if we make mistakes, if we've missed it, he, the Lord raises us up. The eyes, of all, the eyes of all look expectantly to you, speaking of the Lord, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Verse 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his works. The Lord is near to all. Isn't that a beautiful word? All. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He also will hear their cry and save them. Verse 20, the Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked will be destroyed. He will destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord. And all flesh shall bless his holy name for how often? Forever and ever. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that beautiful? But what I wanted us to see in Psalms 145 here, some of the things that he talks about is that God is not a God who's way off. He's a God who's near. We should be seeing God work in our lives. That's where serve the Lord with gladness comes in. As we serve the Lord with gladness, we give opportunity for God to come alongside and work with us in what we're doing. And as we serve the Lord with gladness, it is in those opportunities of of serving him with gladness that we shine light of the light of who Jesus is to those around us. That's awesome. It's not hard or complicated. It's very simple, but it's not easy because it takes the uh, we have to take the initiative to set our eyes on him and to serve him with gladness, to come before his presence with singing. But what I saw as I read through this Psalms 145, it paralleled so well again with uh, Psalms 100 verse 3 where he said, Know the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are the people and the sheep of his pasture. 
Then he says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to all generations. So as I was looking at that and, and meditating on that, the first scripture that the Lord really brought in my heart when he said, serve the Lord with gladness was John 5, 19 and 20. John 5, 19 says, it's a very familiar passage of scripture. Verse 19 says, then Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the, fa- the son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. Verse 19, most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son does also in like manner. As I meditated on that, this is what I talked earlier about, I had lunch with Josh, and we're talking about some things. I've heard this said many, many times, and I've even said it many times, that prayer is simply talking to God. You ever heard that? Prayer is simply talking to God. That's half true. (laughs) What are you talking about? Prayer, true prayer, is what Jesus is talking about here in John 5, 19. And it's not me simply talking to God. How many of you have ever been in a, I can't even call it a conversation. How many of you have ever been in a, I don't even know that you'd call it an interaction, an episode? I'll land on that. An episode with someone where they were constantly communicating but never gave you an opportunity to say anything. Would you say that that was a good encounter or good conversation. You really can't even call it a conversation, right? Because conversation involves two people communicating, correct? So this you couldn't even call a conversation because there aren't two people communicating. There's one person just spilling. And, and the same thing I, I noticed is I looked over these verses. I spent time with the Lord. The Lord really spoke into my heart, and he said, that's the purpose and the, the power and the necessity of your secret place in your time with the Lord. Because it's when you're in that secret place with the Lord that you're not just praying and talking to Him, but you're allowing Him to talk back to you. So that's why when we go in that place of prayer with Him, it's not... Because one of the things, I got into this dialogue with the Lord, and I said, Lord, I pray a lot. I pray riding down the road, and I pray uh, if I have idle time, I'll pray in the Spirit, or I'll pray and, and talk to the Lord. And he said, yes, you do. But you haven't allowed a whole lot of time for me to talk to you. And the primary way that he does that is through, what's this called? What do we call this? God's... Isn't that cool? That shouldn't just be a concept. It should be a reality that this is God's word. Now, can God speak to us audibly? Yes. Can he speak to us through others who give us a prophetic word or something like that? Absolutely, he can. But he will always, always, always speak to us through this because it's, it's his word to us. It's his love letter to us that says, man, I love you, and I want you to know how much I love you. So when we get in those seasons, and every one of us has went through it, and we say, man, it just feels like I'm in a dry season that is quiet, and God's not talking. You know where God's always talking? Now, maybe he hasn't come to you in a vision or at night or anything like that. Maybe no one's given you a prophetic word. But if it feels like God is quiet in your life, this has probably been set somewhere by itself. Help me, Jesus. Because this is his word to us, and he's always speaking in this word. And you know what the beauty of this is? If you just take time to get with him and and come before his presence and, and say, God, I want you. I want you. And you begin to pray. And he will, and then open the word. I'm not one for Bible roulette. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying God doesn't speak that way, but it's good until it's not good. Like you open it one day and you go, God, I'm just not feeling well. I'm kind of depressed. 
what should I do? And you open it up and it says, and Judas went and hanged himself. <laughs> you immediately start fasting and praying. <laughs> See, all of the word is true, but it may not be truth to you where you are right then. That makes sense. God's not telling you to go hang yourself like Judas did. Okay? So I went, phew, because I just had that passage the other day. <clears throat> it's good when it's good. You get one, and he tells you, you know, want to put 1,000 to flight, to put 10,000 to flight. And you go, ooh, all right, I just got to find another. But then I'm not one that's, that's for Bible roulette. But here's what I know. You get in, you can even do that because it's a lie. And it may not be the first verse that you read about Judas hanging himself, but you keep reading in there, and you see that Jesus resurrected. He, <laughs> he resurrected, and he has life, and he gives life to us. So you can get in, and you just say, Jesus, I want to know you. But I, I know this, according to the Scriptures, that you won't know him apart from this. You'll know about him, but you won't know him. Second Peter says this, Second Peter chapter 1. Verses 2 through 4 says, Grace and peace are mul be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these, what? These great and precious promises, that where are those great and precious promises? They've been given to us. Where are they given to us? In his word. That through these you might be partakers. Listen to this. I, I've shared this many times here, but every time I shared it, it encourages me and it strengthens me. That through these precious promises, great and precious promises, we may be, may be. Remember, we've talked about may before. May means have the potential. We have the potential to be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Through his, it says that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So he said grace and peace are multiplied to us. How? In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. When Jesus went apart to pray, we see it replete in the scriptures. Throughout the scriptures, Jesus went apart and prayed. You know what happened when Jesus came down or came out from prayer? He would do what he saw his father doing. Jesus would go and spend time with the father and grace and peace were, were uh, added to him. The more time he spent with the father, the more he walked in reflection of who the father is. And in Hebrews 1 says, Jesus was the exact representation of who the Father is. He wasn't a copy. He was an exact representation of who the Father is. And he said that grace and peace are multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, there's another passage of Scripture in the Old Testament. Isaiah, 20, uh, Isaiah 26, 3 says this, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You know, I've heard that verse quoted a lot and a lot and a lot and a lot. Anybody? Isaiah 26, 3. You'll keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Verse 4 is just as powerful. Verse 4 says this. Trust in the Lord forever. For in Yah, Y-A-H, which is uh, Jehovah. Uh, uh, it's not even an acronym. It's just Y-A-H because... The, the Jews wouldn't write out Jehovah because it was too, it was, they wouldn't write out the name God because it was, they, it was too holy. And they felt that it was too holy to even pen. So here it said, the trust in the Lord forever, forever, for in Yah, and they put in parentheses, in quote, in uh, commas, the Lord is everlasting strength. So he said, trust in the Lord forever because in the Lord there's everlasting strength. Isn't that good? See, so he said in verse three, 
You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. That's why I said Psalms 100 is so important. He said, make a joyful shout to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Then you go down through the, the passage there, and he said, know that he is what? That he is God. It's he that made you and not you yourselves, not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Man, that should strengthen us. When we realize that we're not just here making it happen. Because it's so easy to get in that mode. I got to make it happen. What do I need to do differently? What if I'm not doing right? What have I got to do to make it happen? Now, there is a part that we play in it. But when we understand that we're his people and the sheep of his pasture, and that he's God. Come on, he's not trying. Listen, he's not trying to be God. That's who he is. Are you with me? He's not trying to be supernatural. That's who he is. Amen. That's who he is. That's what he does. He's a supernatural God. So he said, if I, he will keep in perfect peace the one whose mind is stayed on him. You know, that sounds so simple, and it is, but it's not easy. It's not always easy to keep your mind stayed on him, especially when you're in the midst of a struggle, when you're in the midst of a hard situation and, and things just seem crazy. You have to choose to set your mind on him. It reminds me of the children of Israel when they murmured and complained, and it says the snakes came in in the wilderness. The fiery serpents came in. What did they have to do? God told Moses, said, make a serpent, and a brass serpent, put it up on a pole, and tell them whoever looks at the serpent on the pole will be, will be saved. Right? He said, put a brass serpent on a pole, and whoever looks at that word looks there, it doesn't mean whoever goes, yep, there it is. I saw it, so I'm all good. No, that word looks there means to set your gaze intently and not to remove it. Are you with me? Same as right here where he said, he'll keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. In the, in the desert, in the wilderness, when those fiery serpents were, they were doing what to them? Biting them. And he said, keep your eyes on the serpent, on the pole, while you're being bitten. That's pleasant. That's pleasant. You, you can be riding down the road and a mosquito bite you, and you smack and look for it. You, you totally lose consciousness that you're driving a vehicle at a rate of speed that could kill you and someone else. Or better yet, let's forget the mosquito, a bee. A bee busts up in the vehicle, starts buzzing around, and you totally lose track of where you are and what's going on. Your whole focus in your world changed. I've got to kill that thing before it gets me. Or get out. I've got to get out. I mean, there was something on Facebook not so long ago, a woman going down the road, and it was a bee or a spider or something in the car. She just jumped out in the car, kept going down the highway, crossed the median. She just bailed out of the car. <laughs> Tuck and roll. Bailed out of the car. You know what? Her consciousness of her vehicle, her safety, of anybody else's safety was gone. Her mind was stayed on something totally different. I don't want no spiders on me. Right? And he said, when you hold up the brazen serpent, when, when things are biting you, you keep your eyes on me. And when you keep your eyes on me, then I can keep you in perfect peace. Why? Why does that even make sense? When we keep our mind stayed on who? The Lord. He is Yah. He's God. He's the all-sufficient one. When we keep our eyes stayed on him, we understand, hey, you know what? I'm not alone. I may feel alone right now. I may feel like no one cares and no one's here. But when I, when I set my eyes on him, he said that I didn't make myself. I don't even have to be the sharpest knife in the drawer to realize I didn't make myself. But I'm his people. That's a good thing when you're his people. Yeah, I've said when we were in the DR, it's funny. The pastors there, they always have people. They got their people. 
And their people are their armor bearers or they're the people who travel with them. So it's funny that the pastors very rarely answer their phone. They give it to their people. You know what I'm saying? The phone rings, they'll look at it and they'll hand it to their people and their people will answer the phone. They don't even have to be doing anything. They can be standing there and the phone rings and they'll hand it to somebody. It's not like they're driving, they're in the middle of something, they can't answer their phone. They give it to their people. And their people answer the phone and they'll go, yeah, he can talk to you. I'm like, what's he doing? He's there. Hello? I got this. I got, I'm a big boy. I got this. But he gives it to his people. Man, God says we are his people. We're right there with him, and we get to be that expression to the world. That's exciting. That ought to encourage us. It will not encourage you if you just want to get yours and not worry about anybody else getting theirs. And you want to go to church and be good and get to heaven and just let everybody else find it their own way. That's not comforting at all to understand that we're his people, that he has our back, that we're not alone, that this thing that he's called us to, if it's not bigger than us, it's not him. I'm not saying he not, he's not leading in it, but going back to Gideon. What he called Gideon to do was outside of who Gideon saw himself as being. He declared, he, you're a mighty warrior. And he was hiding and he was afraid. And that's not an assumption. It's clear. You just go read Judges 6. Start in, don't even start in verse 11. Start in verse 1 because it talks about why they were in the position they were in. Do you understand why Israel was in the shape they were in? Why the, the, is it the Midianites? Wasn't it the Midianites? Who had come in and it said they came in like locusts and they, they just devoured everything. It was because Israel had rebelled against God. They had turned their back on God. They had false gods, and they no longer served him as the one true God. We can look around and say how bad it is in America. America's not uh, in great spiritual condition right now. But I'm telling you this. We could be encouraged if we just really believed the Bible and what happened in the Bible and how God delivered people. We can be really encouraged because many times, especially in the Old Testament, when you look, it wasn't just a bad economy or it wasn't just a leader who didn't make it easy on me. No, there were leaders who killed people because of, their, because of who they were. <laughs> You're a Jew. We got to kill you. Right? And then what we live under here in America, it's not as good as it could be, but it's because I believe, Todology, because the church isn't what it's been called to be. It's not because the world is darker than it's ever been. No. You look at Sodom and Gomorrah. You look at some of the stuff when judgment came, it was much worse. And if you're thinking in your mind, well, if God doesn't judge America, he's got to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Nope. God judged the world, and he put it on Jesus. So God doesn't have to pour out judgment on America because of all the bad things that are going on in America. No, he does not. America is judging theirself because they've asked God to take his hands off of it. Amen. But it's not, we're not without hope. As a matter of fact, light shines bright in darkness. We've just got to make a decision to be like that little children's song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Amen? He said, I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on me because he trusts in me. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture today because if we want to know him, then his word is who he is. In the beginning was the word, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, Right? So Psalms 37, verse 4. These are scriptures that the Lord has had me in my secret place just spending time with him. With him. These are scriptures that I've been focusing on. Psalms 37, 4 and 5 says this, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. What's that word? Trust. Also in him. And... You'll work it out. And he shall bring it to pass. There's some beautifully profound, not deep things in here. <laughs> it's not like it's so deep you got to dig it out. 
It's just you got to be willing to believe God to be true and to trust. You know, trust is an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. He said, delight yourself also in the Lord. So this is an act of our will, right? To delight ourselves in the Lord. We have to make a decision. I'm going to delight myself in the Lord. He said, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he'll do what? He'll give you the desires of your heart. Man, that's beautiful. But the desires of our heart come from our delight being in him. You can't separate the two. You can't just say, man, I want this thing because it'll make me happy. Then your delight is in a thing, not in him. If I got this job or this boyfriend or this husband or this wife, then I'll be happy because God is good. No, God is good all the time. And all the time? And I love it. <laughs> but when we delight ourselves also in the Lord, he will give us the desires of our heart. So that's so beautiful. He said, as I delight myself in him, there are desires in my heart that God's saying, I want to give you. I want to manifest them in your life. I, I think that there are desires that God puts in there, but there are some desires that are born in us because of who God's called us to be, because of the call on our lives as sons and daughters of the living God. No one in here is a copy. Everyone in here is original. So inside of every one of us, there's destiny. Inside of every one of us, there's purpose. And when we press into him and we delight ourselves in him, that destiny and that purpose awakens on the inside of us. And we we focus on him and we delight in him and we go, you know what? He can do this. I might be lost as a ball in high weeds, but he's got this. He can do this because he's bigger than I am. All I see is all the weeds around me, but I know he knows how to get me through and not just get me through, but to prosper me. We can be, we can feel like we're just overwhelmed in a crowd, but still alone. Speaking of that, yesterday we went to the state fair. I'll never do that again on a Saturday. No bueno. We normally go on a Friday at lunchtime or something like that. And we said, we'll go early. We got there a little before lunchtime, and it was crowded. And before long, it was ridiculous. It wasn't crowded anymore. It, was, it should have been shut down. They should have shut the gate and said, no more people can come in. We can't handle what we got. But we're getting, we're moving. And my wife is, my wife is amazing. And she's really laid back and easygoing. And normally she's right there with me. She's right there. But we had been in that for three or four hours. And yeah, I mean, it was moving like this to get places. And we got close to the gate. And my wife let my hand go. <laughs> and the crowds were so thick. She let my hand go, and I, her posture changed. She went from holding my hand like she went. <laughs> she pushed a little old lady down. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But she was so focused. She had intention. She had purpose. She was going to get through that crowd, and nothing was going to stop her. She was delighting herself in the exit. And she, she's crying, she's laughing so hard. She was so focused. I mean, I'm here, and she lets go of my hand, and I'm watching Tyler and Brianna behind us. They're easy to find, just see Tyler. But she went like this. And she went, and I mean, she got from here to Diana in the back, in front of me, before she looked up. And she looked back. <laughs> I just kind of grinned at her. I mean, she made a way, but it seemed to be no way. Wow. And, then, and she was in the clearing. And she looked around. She just grinned. And I said, it's the promised land. She made it to the promised land. If I can just press through uh, and not give up, uh, I can get there too. Uh. (laughs) 
But she was focused. And she delighted herself in getting through the crowd. And you know what? What had been an obstacle just got out of the way. I'm still not sure exactly how she weaved and bobbed through everyone. I need my phone so I can take a picture of you. And Mary Hart does good like a medicine. My wife's just getting ministered to all up on the front row. But when I looked at her, it just it made me feel good on the inside because I thought, she's not going to be denied. She is not going to be denied. She didn't forget about us. She just lost focus of us. And you know what? When we delight in the Lord, we don't forget about others around us. We just might lose sight of them. We might lose sight of how they used to influence us negatively or positively. We might lose sight of how, how they respond to us can make us happy or sad. When we delight ourselves in Him, we don't forget them. We just look at Him, and He is so bright. We realize He's the prize. He's the one that's worthy. And, and those who are around me, you know, listen, just peradventure, what if your willingness to delight yourself in him and to lose sight of everything around you and just see him is what brings breakthrough in their lives? Instead of <laughs> you dragging them, kicking and screaming. What if you're, you know what? She encouraged me. She didn't, I didn't get depressed when she left me because I knew she wasn't leaving me. I knew I was going to meet up with her again. But it encouraged me because that's the whole day when we were walking through, we walked like this. I'm not exaggerating. We walked, she was behind me, and I'm like this. I'm weaving in and out because I'm that guy. I'm that guy. I'm that guy. Just so you know, if we're going somewhere, I'm the guy. I'm going to find, I'm going to shoot the gap. I'm going, I'm going to be in the front. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get out. I'm going to get through. I'm going to do it. That's just, I'm the guy. So all day, it was like I was dragging her through, through, the, through the fair, through the park. <laughs> just had her back this way. But when she set her mind, she didn't drag me. She just let go. <laughs> I mean, it got tighter and tighter and tighter. And you know what? Sometimes you might feel like it's getting tighter and tighter and tighter. Come on, I'm preaching good right now. <laughs> It might get tighter and tighter and tighter, but that might be the one thing that propels you to say, you know what, God, I, I acknowledge I can't do this, but greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. So right now I acknowledge that there's nothing in me that can make this happen, but you can. And I trust you. I trust you. And that's that huge word. Five little letters. All right? T-R-U-S-T. <laughs> I want to go back and this video. This goes out on podcasting. That idiot don't know how to count. <laughs> yep, trust. Five letters. Those simple five little letters where he said, trust me. God is showing me that makes all the difference in what I say I believe and what I really believe. Because when I really believe it, my actions line up with what I say I believe. And that's the element where I say, God, I trust you, and I step. I step. I'll be willing to press through a crowd where it seems like, and you got to understand, this crowd, she made it through. There was people going with us and a lot of people coming at us. So it wasn't like she just weaved through everybody going the same direction she was. She was facing people going, oh, man, that's so good. She passed people going the same way she was going, and, and she went against the flow with people who were coming this way. And when you delight yourself in the Lord and you say, no, I'm not taking no for an answer. I know what God has said, and I'm going forward. You might lose sight of the people who used to hold you down, hold you back. And, there, you know, here's what I'm convinced of. There are good people who will keep us from great things. Don't, don't hear me wrong. <laughs> hear my heart. There are good people who are good people 
and you're not better than them. But they are satisfied with just being good. And God said, I've called you to greatness. And that greatness isn't for me or for Landon or for Tina. It's for every one of us. I'm convinced good holds people back from great a whole lot more than bad does. Because good is comfortable. Because good is people who will walk with me and who will console me and who will uh, get on the ground and wallow with me. I'm a good person. But when Tina wanted to get out of the crowd, I was holding her back. (laughs) And she let go of me and bolted through the crowd. And she won the prize. She I'm convinced good keeps us from great. Now, there are some people who are good who will go with you because you being willing to step out will bring them into greatness. But I'm... My passion in my heart is to not just be good. It's to be lost in him and his greatness and his glory and who he is, to delight myself in him. So those desires that are in my heart, he will bring to pass. He'll bring them to pass. And it says this, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass few more, and I'll close. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. You know, I just get so jazzed. He's so good. He said, trust in the Lord and and what, with what, how much of your heart? And lean not on your own understanding in your ways acknowledge him and he might, he will, definite, he will direct your path. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. A few more. Building on the trust. This is one um, this week as I was meditating on this that the Lord really started bringing to my heart. James 1, 5 and 6. If any of you lack wisdom, lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally. There's that word again. And without reproach. And it will be given to him. Verse 6. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like the wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. He said, if you lack wisdom, ask of God who gives to all liberally. Isn't that beautiful? He doesn't say God will just give you enough to get by. He said God gives wisdom how? Liberally. He gives it liberally. That means abundantly. He gives to all liberally and without reproach. So he's not going to condemn you for coming. He's not going to condemn you for asking. But look, the key is this is where the Lord just really began to speak to my heart. It will be given him, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. How can I ask in faith with no doubting? By delighting myself in the Lord. By, by giving a joyful shout to the Lord, by setting my gaze on him, by knowing it is God who made me and not me myself, that I'm his people. If I'm his people and I'm alone, I'm in good company. I'm his people. You're his people. And his people are destined and designed for greatness. Now, the world will do any and everything it can. And when I say the world, I don't mean like the globe that we stand, or this rock that we stand on. I'm talking about, uh, you know, in the Bible, the every, in the, um, we were called Jews and Gentiles. Jews were those who believed, and Gentiles were those who didn't believe. So the world is those who don't have relationship with God, that, that aren't pursuing God. There can be good people in the world who are not trying to harm you or hurt you, but they can hold you from destiny because they're good people, but they don't have God in them. Now, it's our privilege to shine like lights to them, but there are good people in the world, but, but the world doesn't know God. 
And the Bible says, neither can it. <laughs> In Corinthians, because it says that the things of God are spiritually discerned. They're spiritually understood. So when we walk in faith, there are things that people in the world just don't understand. They can't wrap their mind around it because reason doesn't make sense. Are you with me? And there are things, well, if you should just be able to do this because it's good and it's not hurting anybody. The world is constantly screaming compromise. It's, it's screaming, uh, if he's going to get it, you've got to get it. You've got to make it happen. But God said, nope, I, you've got to trust me. And when you come to me, you've got to know who I am. And you've got to come in faith with no doubting. In Hebrews, he says that we must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that do what? Diligently seek him. Philippians Four, I got two passages. <clears throat> Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That sounds a whole lot like Isaiah 26, 3 and 4, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> that wasn't a trick question. He said, that as we if, as we are anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, we let our requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Can God lie? No. So that last passage, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. These aren't uh, scriptures that we aren't familiar with. But uh, in the context of prayer, in the context of spending time with him, and being in that secret place with him, it brings into perspective that when we understand that he is God and that we're his people, it changes things, right? It changes things. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or earthly bound, but mighty, where are they mighty? In God. That just jumped out at me this week when I was studying this. But the weapons of our warfare are mighty in who? In God. Not in Todd. In God. Now, he's in me and I'm in him, so they are in me, but the confidence is not in me. The battle's not in what I can do, not how loud I can shout at the devil or the situation or circumstance. The confidence, the, it says here, is in God. Not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against what? The knowledge of God. We went back to 2 Peter. He's already given us great and precious promises that come through what? The knowledge of God. Are you seeing where I'm going? We've got to know God. We've got to know his word. So that secret place of true prayer, prayer with God. And, and this is a segue. We've talked about worship and we're, and we're going to move into the word, studying the word of God is, is one of our core values here. The word of God is one of our core values. But every one of these has to be built on prayer. John 4, 24, God's a spirit, and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship him. 4, 23, 24, right in there. That's who God is looking for. And it, we have to understand that God's a spirit, and if we're going to worship him, we're going to worship him in spirit and in, in truth. He said, casting down in arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Listen to this. Awesome. Bringing every thought... Anybody ever have thoughts, lies of the enemy, thoughts that just rush in? Bringing every thought into captivity to what? What are we bringing those thoughts into captivity to? How well we've performed that day? How long we've been a Christian? How good our church attendance is? How much money we give? Is that what it says we bring those thoughts into captivity to? No, nope. to the obedience of who? Of Christ. So any lie that comes at us, we bring it to the truth that Jesus said, I became sin that they might become righteous. That I suffered and went without so that you'll never do without. He bore the curse so that we would never be cursed. Amen. 
1 John 5, 14 and 15 says this, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he he hears us, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Verse 14, Now this is the confidence that we have in him. Where's the confidence? In him. Let me say that again. Where's the confidence in? Where's the confidence in? Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. He said it's when we understand that our confidence comes from not how eloquently we ask, that our confidence comes from that when we ask it, it's in him. This is the confidence that we have in him, that he is more than able. He is more than able. Amen?